Let's pray again. Oh Lord, we come now with thanksgiving, remembering that you are the one who provides everything that we have. And Lord, we remember that every good gift comes from above. So we thank you, Lord, for everything that you have provided. Lord, we ask for your continued provision. Lord, continue uh, to provide for us so that uh, we might continue to give. And Lord, remind us of what a wonderful grace it is that we have the privilege of giving. And Lord, would you give us a generous heart so that we might give? And would you give, um, Lord, your Holy Spirit to accompany everything that's given so that it might be effective? Lord, we know that we could give as much as we want, but unless you empower us and empower uh, what we give, nothing will happen. So Lord, do what only you can do, do the impossible. Lord, and would you help all of those places uh, which we put our hand to as a church? Lord, we're also thankful now for your word, your wonderful provision. Help us as we come to it now uh, to have open hearts and open ears so that we might hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please be seated. And if you have your Bibles with you, would you go to Mark chapter 6? You'll see it on the screen. There we go. From verse 45 to verse 52. Mark chapter 6. All right. I'll I'll read it. You can follow along. This is God's word. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against him. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they had thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. All right, so what we'll do this morning is we're going to start right from the end, and then we'll go back up to the top. So if you look down at verse 52, it says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, it was only last week. Um, that our brother Hanley preached about the, the two fish and the five loaves. And he gave us some understanding of, of what we should actually understand about the loaves, things that the disciples going through this um, storm did not understand about the loaves. So what should they have understood about the loaves? That's the question. Well, what we were told um, last week is that we were told that the loaves weren't really the point of the the story, the point of the story that Jesus himself was giving his word, words of eternity, so that people might come and be saved. Jesus himself was giving his word so that they might know who he is, the eternal son of God. That's what these guys did not understand about the loaves. What they understood about the loaves, and what probably most of the people who were there when Jesus fed the 5,000, um, they didn't really understand what the loaves were about. In fact, John actually tells us what they thought the loaves meant. So when they saw that Jesus 
did this wonderful miracle and provided 5,000 men plus the women and children with all of this food, they thought to themselves, John 6 tells us in verse 15, they wanted to make Jesus king by force. They understood about the loaves that we should make Jesus our political leader. He should be the figurehead of our movement. Let's make Jesus um, sort of the visionary, the one who can go and get us out from under the oppression that the Romans have put us under. That's what they're thinking. And because of that, Jesus says, okay, you disciples, get on the boat and go to the other side to Bethsaida. I'll meet you over there. Because of that, Jesus separates himself from them and goes to this mountain to pray by himself. That's how this whole story takes movement now. So that's sort of the background of this story, is that people were trying to take Jesus by force to make him king because they didn't understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. And that's the condition that the disciples are in, in this story. So Jesus being so kind and so gracious gives it another shot. You guys didn't understand about the loaves, but now he gives him another opportunity to actually understand. Understand about me walking on water and calming another storm. That's what Jesus is doing. In fact, Mark tells us in Mark 1 verse 1 what Mark wants us to know. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what they didn't understand about the loaves. That's what we must understand about the loaves and what we must understand about this passage. And the way that Jesus um, sets out to have his disciples understand about the loaves and understand about him walking on the water is to put them through a storm. Um, I think it's C.S. Lewis who says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts at us in our pain. And Jesus sets off to, to put a megaphone to the disciples, to really shout at them so that they can actually understand about the loaves, so that they can actually understand who he is. And God does that through a trial. God does that through suffering. God does that through pain. We see that here. Look at uh, verse 45 with me. Immediately, he made his disciples. Four things that Jesus does. He made his disciples get into the boat. Why are they in the boat? Why are they in the middle of a storm? Because they listened. Obedience to Jesus Christ led them into a storm. Now, we must be careful with that. Sometimes we end up in storms because we're foolish and we make bad choices. Sometimes we end up in storms because we we lean towards our sinfulness and we end up there self-inflicted. But these guys didn't end up in a storm because they disobeyed. They ended up in a storm because they actually obeyed Jesus. So those four things that I was talking about, he makes them get into, into the boat. Not only that, but he sees them when they're struggling. So he, he made, he sees, he speaks to them in the storm. And then the fourth thing is he gets into the boat with them. So we're going to just go through step by step with those four things. And then we'll, we'll circle back to understanding about the loaves. So these disciples are in the middle of um, a trial. They're in the middle of a test. They're in the middle of a challenge. They're in the middle of um, pain and suffering because they listened to what Jesus told them to do. 
And sometimes obedience leads us into trials, into a storm. And that's important to understand that that really makes the whole prosperity gospel movement be quiet and hush their lips. You know, the prosperity gospel is health, wealth, and prosperity. If you sign up for Jesus, you'll get health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what you should expect in this life. This passage tells us sometimes when you listen to Jesus, you end up in the middle of a storm. Sometimes God provides a storm for us. Why? Because he can shout at us in a storm. And we might actually turn and listen when he puts us through a storm. I wonder if you're going through a storm. If you are, listen carefully. So he, he gets them to get in the boat. He's the one who puts them in the middle of the storm. And then after that, he sees them. <clears throat> so look down at verse 46. He, he goes up and he takes leave. He's on the mountain. He's there by himself. Verse 47, um, the evening comes and they're now in a boat. So the sun's gone down. The evening has happened and they're now on the boat. And then look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And, a, and look at the next part. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So at the fourth watch of the night, what that means is between three in the morning and six in the morning, Jesus looks out and he sees his disciples. So follow, follow with me. Evening comes and then he looks over across at them at about three, between three and six in the morning. So they've been on, on this lake for hours, maybe around eight hours. They've been struggling. They've been toiling. They've been battling the wind for eight hours. And Jesus sees them struggling. Jesus sees them going through a storm. Jesus sees you when he goes, when you go through a storm. It's not that Jesus is blind. It's not that he's there. And this is temptation um, and, and a trap that we often have when we go through a trial. And you see it here with the disciples. It almost gets to the point where Jesus becomes irrelevant to the storm, irrelevant to your trouble and trials. You might remember the first time that these guys were in a storm on a boat. It was in chapter four in Mark. Jesus was sleeping. And what the disciples did when Jesus was sleeping is they went down and woke him up. And this is the, the audacity that they had. They, this is what they asked Jesus. Jesus, who was God eternal, the son of God, who put on human flesh to come and die for them so that they wouldn't perish for eternity. This is what they asked him. Do you not care that we are perishing? So the, the disciples, they, they don't really look at Jesus as being relevant to the success of their, their trials and coming out of their trial and tribulation. And now Jesus is not even sleeping on the boat. He's not even on the boat. He's on the shore, on the mountainside, praying. So to them, Jesus is not there. Jesus is not a relevant part of their um, struggle. Jesus is not, a, is not a relevant part of their tribulation and, and their pain that they're going through. <clears throat> but they'd be totally wrong to think that way. And if we ever thought that way, if we ever think as we go through our pain, as we ever go through our trials, that Jesus is not relevant to that, you're dead wrong. Look at verse 48 with me. When they're going through all of this pain, when they're going through all of the suffering at the darkest hour for these guys, when they're sort of at the end of the rope, when they're making 
headway painfully when the lactic acid is kicking in because they can't row anymore. What is Jesus doing? Verse 48, he saw them. Jesus is engaged. Jesus can see what is going on with his people. Jesus is the one who sent them out into the storm. Do you think he's not going to watch them? Friends, if Jesus sends you into a storm, you best believe that he's watching every single movement. You best believe that he's watching you as you toil and as you struggle and as you go through pain. He he doesn't take his eyes off you. He can see you. He knows what is going on. He's no stranger to what you're going through. So if you this morning are in the midst of some trial, some suffering, some struggle, remember this. Jesus can see that. Jesus knows all of the details about that. He's no stranger to your circumstance. So we see that he puts them into this position and then he sees them in this position. Look what happens next. Follow down to verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. The disciples, they see Jesus walking on water and they freak out. They, they just scream out of terror. Verse 50, for they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately, what did Jesus do? He spoke to them. So he puts them in the storm. He can see them in the storm. He remembers them in the storm. And then he speaks to them in the storm. And what does he say when he speaks to them? What words does Jesus choose when they're at their darkest hour, when they're struggling and they find that they're sort of at their rope's end? What does Jesus say? What? What word selection does he have? Look with me. It says there, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, why did Jesus say that? Why would these be the words that Jesus selects? Why are these Handpicked words given to the disciples when they're at their lowest, when they're at their darkest hour. Why does he choose these words? He chooses these words because they must understand this above any other truth. These are the most important words for each of us, even right now, to understand. We must understand what Jesus means when he says, Don't be afraid, it is I. Take heart. Now, Just a little bit of background on on these words that Jesus says. When he says here, it is I, that word that he uses to describe himself when he says I, those are the same words that he uses in John when he says I am. You might remember that he says I am the door, I am the bread of life, I am the uh, resurrection and the life, I, I am the good shepherd. He says I am, I am the light of the world. And when he says those words, he's referring to himself as the eternal God, Yahweh. When he says, I am, that's a translation of the the name that God has given himself, Yahweh, I am. So he comes to them and he says, take heart, it is I. This is the one who created the water. This is the one who created, Jesus invented wind. And he is the one, the the inventor of wind, the, the one who designed how water was going to be produced. He's the one who walks on top of the water. It's no effort for him. Why? Because he is the eternal God. 
He is the one who made the water. No one else could walk on the water except for God. No one else could calm the wind except for him. And he goes to them after displaying himself in this way. And he says, take heart. It is I. What does he want them to understand? What did they miss about the bread? What did they miss about the loaves? What did everyone miss about the loaves? They missed that the one who created the molecules that make up bread and everything else could produce that much food. Only only God could do such a miracle. No one else could. But instead, they thought this is a political leader. They totally missed the point. So what is he driving home for the disciples here? Right in the middle of their suffering, right in the middle of the pain. He's driving home that he is the eternal son of God. That if anyone, anyone could help them right in the middle of their struggle, right in the middle of their pain, it's him. And what does he do after he speaks these words? Look down at uh, verse 51. It says, he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. You know, the last time there was this big storm in chapter four, he told the wind, be still. And the wind just stopped. The waves just stopped. The water ended up being glassy. But he doesn't even say anything this time. He just gets into the boat and his mere presence calms a storm. Friends, what we must know above everything else And sometimes God will even use suffering and trials and pain to make us understand is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Now, doesn't that give us a new perspective on trials? Doesn't that give us a new perspective on pain and suffering, especially when we are in that pain and suffering because we have been obedient to Jesus? God is a masterful God who can use any ingredient He can use anything in our lives, including our struggles and pains, to deepen our awareness of him and to deepen our our vision of who Jesus is. And if you're going through a trial, if you're going through suffering or pain, God is giving you an opportunity to hear him in a way that is more clear than you might hear him when you're in the middle of pleasure. That's sort of why James can say in James 1, Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There is a point to all the pain. There is a point to all the struggle. It's that we know God more. And if that's what it takes for us to know God, if trials and pain and suffering is what it takes for us to know the eternal words of Christ, to know the son of God personally, any suffering and any trial is worth it. At any cost, we must know Jesus Christ. And just, I'll finish briefly. Um, Look again at verse 51. When he got into the boat, the wind ceased, just mere presence, everything stopped. And then it says, and they were utterly astounded. They were in shock. They were just gobsmacked by what had happened. Jesus had walked on water and then he jumped in the boat and then everything was calm again. And they were totally just astounded and gobsmacked. And then it says in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves. 
but their hearts were hardened. So Jesus has whispered to them. They had this wonderful feast of fish and bread, and they got to see this wonderful miracle. They missed the point. They missed the point about Jesus being the eternal son of God who could actually save them from their sins. And now Jesus goes about to shout at them, puts them through a trial, puts them through some pain so that he might use it so that they could hear him a bit more clearly than they would before. And it says here, instead of recognizing, they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, by God's grace, after this happened, after this astonishment and amazement happened, um, the the parallel account in, in Matthew, it tells us in Matthew 14, that those who were in the boat with him worshipped him and said, truly, this is the son of God. What had to happen for them to go from this point of not understanding about the loaves to the point where they could say, truly, this is the son of God. What had to be done in them? Well, at the end of this passage, it says that their hearts were hardened. The only way that they could move from not understanding who Jesus was to saying, truly, this is the son of God, is that God went to work on their hearts. These people needed a heart transplant. They needed that heart that was hardened, that stone heart taken out of them and a heart of flesh put into them so that they could actually recognize who Jesus was. And friends, this is the state that every single person is in apart from God's divine intervention. And because this is solely a work of God, only God can do this work. Only God can um, perform this transplant. Uh, It's appropriate that in a moment from now, we pray and ask that he would do that. But be encouraged. If, If you are a believer, God continues to put us through storms, sometimes even leads us into them. But if he leads us into them, remember, he can see us in them. Remember that he speaks to us in them. And remember that he gets into the boat with us and then leads us through them. The disciples, they wouldn't have seen the end result, but Jesus knew the end result. And friends, the end result for the life of a Christian is eternity with Jesus. Uh, It just occurred to me when I was on the motorway the other day, I was driving and I was thinking about my personal troubles, personal things that are going on in my life. And I was just listing them off in my head, thinking, oh man, what do I have to do now? What what am I going to do for this next step? How am I going to manage this? How am I going to find the time to do that? Or how am I going to move things around so that I can actually make things work? How am I going to get through the situation with this family member? How am I going to do this thing at work? And I was just listing them off in my head. I was going step by step by step. And then I kept on going. Well, what happens after that? What happens after that? And then what happens after that? I die. And what happens after that? I am risen again with Jesus Christ. Friends, the the promises that those who um, are predestined, they, they are also called. And those who are called, they're also justified. And those who are justified, they're also glorified. That's a wonderful end to the story. And when we're in the middle of, of a storm, it's easy just to look at the waves and look at the wind and feel the lactic acid. 
But what we must remember in the middle of the storm is the end result. Jesus already knows the end. And we have to trust that he knows the end and trust that he will take us to that end. In the end is eternal bliss. It's life everlasting, face to face with God. Can you think of anything better? So if you're going through a storm, remember those things. And if you haven't understood yet about the loaves, let's pray for you now. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is crystal clear. And uh, Lord, we have no excuse as we come to it to to not believe. Uh, But Lord, with our hearts hardened, we know that it's impossible for us to understand about the loaves. We know that it's it's impossible for us to hear the words, uh, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So Lord, would you go to work in every heart this morning? Go to work in the heart of the Christian and Lord, bolster them and encourage them if they are going through a storm. Remind us, Lord, that our Lord is watching. Our Lord speaks to us in the middle of our storm and that our Lord even joins us and leads us through our storm. And Lord, for the one whose heart has yet been regenerated, for the one whose heart is still yet of stone, we pray, Lord, that you would give them a heart so that they might understand about the loaves, so that their heart would be softened, and so that they might hear the words, fear not, take courage, it is I. And would they respond to that as a servant to their master, as a a sheep to their shepherd. So Lord, call your sheep this morning. We know that that's a work that only you can do. We ask that you would do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.